Have you ever met someone that was like really, really, really confident in their walk with God? I mean like so confident, not in a sense like arrogant or, or ignorant, but just that they were confident. Like who, who God said he was and, and what he said about them, all of that was just this, this confidence in them. Almost kind of irritating at times. Has that ever happened to you guys? Have you, have you ever met someone like that? You know, where, um, where maybe they had this faith, and, and it, in a way it was, it was almost infectious. In a way, like, you, you, were, you were drawn to the, to the fact that they were so confident in both God and who they were because of what God said about them. In fact, maybe for some of us, that was, that was you at some point. Maybe you can remember back in your own life, you were really, really confident in who God was and, and what he said about you. Maybe it was early on. And I, I say early on because it's, it's interesting that when we first kind of surrender our lives to Jesus, how we're just so confident. And it's not because we're intellectually smart about Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you probably were never dumber about Jesus at the moment than when you first converted. Right? You just knew what he did for you and, and, and what it meant. And so that was just, that was enough. And it set this confidence of, man, I'm free I don't have to worry about that anymore. Like, I, it doesn't mean life is easy, but I'm free. And there's just this confidence. You're just enamored with God. There's a story. We're, we're in the book of 1 John, and we'll get there in a second. But there's a story, story in the Old Testament I wanted to kind of tell you about and then read a section for it. It's, it's, it's a story about Joshua. And Joshua is, is, is the sixth book in the Bible. It, it literally follows the Israelite people after Moses had led them. And so Moses led, led the Israelites out of Egypt and in slavery. And you've heard, you know, you've seen the... Disney movies, are they part of the sea or whatever else you've seen about it? And, and the Israelites basically wandered for 40 years. And, and ultimately, because of mistakes and, and, and choices, none of the people that left originally were, were able to enter the promised land, including Moses. And, and, so, and so Joshua picks, picks up at this story. The beginning of Joshua, it picks up. It's like, my servant Moses is dead. All right, Joshua, you're in. And it's like, okay, you know. And so Joshua's in. And, and if you don't read the Bible but you like war movies, Joshua's a great book to read. Like, it really is. Like, he is, like, slaughtering people left and right. I, I mean, it's in here, guys. I'm serious. There's, there's this book after story after story of, of how they battled and fought and fought and fought and won and won and a couple losses here or there because they made some mistakes. But ultimately, there's this, there's this battle in, going on. And Israel is, when I, was in, when I was in Israel, I got to stand at Jericho. And, and Jericho was, was really small, in, in essence. And you could, like, hit a seven iron and clear one side of Jericho to the other. And if you kind of turned this way, you saw the big valley looking down, and I was kind of raised up looking there, and you see the valley, and the Jordan River's kind of flowing all the way through it. And, and along this whole hillside is probably the spot where, where somewhere along there where God lays out Moses and says, here's the promised land. And as I was sitting in Jericho, I remember sitting there thinking, what would it look like to see a million-plus people on the other side of this river in this small little town? Like, that would have been really unnerving. That doesn't have much to do with what I'm talking about. But either way, it was really cool. And so here, here the Israelites are coming into the promised land that, that God had promised them um, through Moses and some of these other people. And essentially, it's go and claim it. And so they come in, and they just start taking out kings and cities, and, and they're, they're going along the way. And, and the Gibeon people was, was a big city, similar to the size of Jerusalem, and, and they had some good warriors in it. That's what we know about it. And they... they they did a treaty with the Israelites. They kind of said, hey, don't slaughter us. We'll just kind of be at peace with you. We won't bug you. You can, you can rule us. Well, some of the other kings didn't like that. Some of the other kings around the area didn't like that because the Gibeon people were large, and some of these other kings still thought they had a chance against um, Joshua and the, and the Israelites. And so, so they decide, well, let's go attack the Gibeons, and let's, let's take them down and, and destroy them. And so this, they all come together and start attacking, and, and what happens is they send word to Joshua 
like Joshua, they're, they're coming to get us. Like, don't forsake us. Don't leave us. And, and Joshua and all his army, um, they, they leave in the middle of the night and basically sneak up on these guys. And in verse, I'm just going to read this real quick. You don't have to turn there. Um, Joshua 10, verse 12. So basically, they've been fighting for a while, so much so that all the other kings, the five other kings, are, are starting to, to flee. They're running away. And then God brings a hailstorm in and starts taking them out that way. It's kind of fun. Um, you guys should read this. It's good. I'm telling you. Okay? And the hailstorm goes, and it tells us that the hailstorm kills more people than even the swords of the Israelites. But yet there's still, there's still some of them alive, apparently, and the day is ending because Joshua says this. It says that the, at that time, this is after the leaving, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said, in the sight of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nations took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the heaven, and they did not hurry to set for a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord needed the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. And the whole point of this is to let you guys know that we're a day off in our calendar, just so you guys know, um, since here. No. Um, I, I, I thought it was interesting. What would make anyone, and here's... Just, just put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a moment, okay? Here you are, a person, and you're saying, God, can you keep the sun up for a little bit longer so I can kill more people? I mean, that's, that's essentially what he's asking. Like, hey, I want to crush these people, God. Keep the sun up. And that is such a silly prayer, if you think about it. Like, that is, that is, that is ludicrous in a way, right? Like, wait, wait, you, wanna, you want the sun and the moon to stop so that you can finish crushing these people. And I thought, what gets a man to that confidence? What gets someone to that confidence of a spot where he can go, God, would you just do this so I can finish this work? And God does it. And so, so I, I was confused and, and a little bewildered at that, and so I thought, what would our life look like if we believe God would actually stop the sun? What would our life look like? How confident would we be in God if we believed that he was capable of doing something that makes no sense to all of us? Take that on the, the, the macro level. What would your life look like in the end? Great. Take that on a personal level. What choices today would you make differently if you knew that God was who he says he was and you believed you were who he says you were? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John. And John talks about this, and it's really interesting because he, 1 John 3 is where we are. He, he comes off talking, and Danny um, spoke very well about just the idea of what it means for us to care and love for the other people around us. If you need a Bible, just slip your hands up. I'll grab you one. First John three nineteen through 24. And he, he's talking about how we are to treat our brothers and, and, and how, how that, that is an important value of who we are in Christ, right? And then he makes this turn where what, what he does is, is and I'm just going to tell you what he does right at the beginning. He lines up our confidence with God, ties it to our approach to him, all the while being tied in with our obedience to him. And so what he basically says is, look, your confidence with God is tied to how confident you are to approach him while being obedient to his call in your life. So John, 3, John 3, 1 John 3, 19 through 23, that's where we are. By this we shall know that we are, the truth, we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does, condem does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. 
And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. And so he begins it with 19 where he says, says, you know, by this. And so he's basically coming off of, look, the way we treat our brothers, that's how we know that we're in with God, that we're, we're, we, can, we, are fa- we are children of God. It's by this we know. And then he goes on, and he comes into this, and he says, he says for whenever our heart condemns us. And, and I would love to just sit there for a second. For whenever our heart condemns us. First off, it says whenever. Now don't forget, he is talking specifically to those who are in Jesus. And he says, whenever. So that means that it's most likely going to happen that our heart's going to condemn us. But I bet I don't have to convince you of that, right? I'm pretty sure that most of us are pretty good at condemning ourselves. Moms, are you, do you ever feel like you're a great mom? Husbands, do you ever feel like you've loved your kids or wife as good as you should? Come on, if we ask anyone, so, hey, how's your spiritual life? You know, however you ask it. They, you know what everyone always does? Well doing fairly good here, but not so great here, not so great here, not so great here. We start condemning ourselves. And what happens is we spend a bunch of time in our life beating ourselves up. Which is interesting because this this word, the heart here, is, is the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about loving God with all of your heart. Yet it's the same heart, the same word that we see that the heart is deceitful. So it's this, it's this feeling inside of us that, that condemns us, that we're not good enough, that we're not worthy, that we need to do this better, or we need to do that better. We need to prove ourselves in this way. And what happens is we start condemning ourselves more and more and more. But the problem with that is, is, that, is that yours condemnation of yourself, my condemnation of myself, is directly opposed to what God says about you and I. See, it's directly opposed. So here's the issue, and we can't go any further. Some of you may be stuck here the rest of the day. If you don't believe that what God says about you is true, if you don't believe that what he says in here is truth, then you're going to be stuck at a condemning heart. You're going to be stuck. And you're always never going to measure up. You're never going to be good enough. Things aren't going to go the way you want to. But see, if you believe what he says is truth, then words like Romans 8.1 that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. So that means not even for me. I'm not condemned because Christ. I'm not condemned because of what Jesus did on the cross for me, for you. There is no condemnation. I think, I think John is very clear, and he knows what he's talking about here. And some people uh, think that maybe this is the idea that this, some scholars would say that this text is talking about, well, be careful if you get convicted, um, then really what the Spirit is doing is convicting you to move into truth, which, which maybe is the case, but the problem is with you and I and our conviction is we go to guilt, right? We go to guilt. We feel guilty, and God is not a God of guilt. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, yes, the Holy Spirit will convict us. Yes, the Spirit that's inside of us will draw us towards truth. But here's the promise John gives us. For whenever your heart condemns, don't worry. Our God is greater. Do you believe that? 
for your situation, not for your friend or your sister or the person that doesn't know Jesus? Do you believe that for where you are? That whatever your heart says about you may not be true because God is greater than your heart. In fact, Romans 8, 31 through 35 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Who, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, not even our heart. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or a bad relationship or a mistake you made this last week or alcohol or what is going to separate us from God's love, guys? What is going to separate us from God's love? Down in 37, he says, no, none. In all these things, we are more than what? Conquerors. You, you are a conqueror to this thing with Christ through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can end there and go home. But see, the problem for you and I is that we don't really believe that. We see that, but then we look at our situation, our financial situation, or our relationship, or our hardships, and we go, yeah, I don't know. Where are you now, God? And we lose confidence. Which in verse 21 and, and 22, he says, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence. This confidence means freedom to speak. Free from fear in the essence that we are willing to approach a God. If our heart does not condemn us, we are confident in stepping towards him. We are confident in looking towards a God who has claimed earlier in this text that he's our father. And then he says in 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. And a lot of people love to use this as a, as a genie lamp. God, give me some more money. Thank you. God, fix my problems. Thank you. And maybe he will. But it's interesting that John says that and then he goes right into the next thing. And whatever we ask of him, we receive from him. Because why? Because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. See, what John is doing is he's taking our obedience and our position of obedience gives us the confidence to ask and to approach a God who is great, who is everything he says he is. So what John is doing is he's weaving in here the fact that, that you and I can live a life only because of what Jesus has done. We can live a life where his spirit inside of us empowers us to keep the commandments, which is love him and love others. Verse 23 says that the idea isn't, it's, it's not just believing that Jesus was a name, it's, it's believing in everything, the essence of who he is. It's in believing that everything that he was and everything he did is true and love your neighbor, love each other. Those commandments, Jesus said it over and over and over again, love God, love others. And isn't it interesting that when we sit in a spot of loving God and loving others, you and I have a little bit more confidence before our Father. 
Isn't it interesting? When we're, when we're doing the very things that aren't that, when we are in opposition to that, when we are in sin or we're struggling, we don't have confidence. I bet, I'd be willing to bet, like, I've done this before, right, where you're praying, and if you made a mistake, it's like, um, hey, God, um, so I did that one thing. And you, you have no confidence to approach him. You, you are afraid to even, even look at him when he sees everything. And he still sees us as righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. Justified by what Jesus did, not by what I do. The word keep, it's worth pointing out, it means to attend to carefully. So keeping his commandments means I'm going to carefully watch over my life to live a life of obedience, to live a life of fruit, to live a life that's being led by the Spirit of God that's inside of me, which we'll talk a lot more about next week. To live a life of obedience, and I can approach God with confidence. See, a lot of times when we approach God, we're, um, we're afraid to approach God maybe because we don't think he understands. You know, like we say, live life like Jesus, but, you know, Jesus was God too. So it's like, how does he really understand? Well, Hebrews 14, 4, 14 says, since then we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, with confidence, draw near, draw near to the throne of grace. Why is it the throne of grace? Because we need that. Right? Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you and I will use our excuses sometimes. Of, he doesn't understand. My life is too hard. He doesn't get it. And we use that as an excuse to, to be timid or afraid of approaching God. And he just says right here that he understands all of it. I think it's interesting that, that he says what we do, what pleases him. Psalms 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You see, there's this, there's this weaving that goes over and over and over in the scriptures that essentially this story that's told from front to back is about Jesus Christ. The story being told of him making all things new. And here's the thing, guys. You and I were created to glorify him. You and I were made to do the things that please him. We were designed for that. That's why it feels right when we do that. That's why it feels like it's not working when we're not in that position. That's why so many people chase so many things in this world, hoping that they can fill the void that only Jesus Christ can. So if we're to be like Jesus, then let's do what he says. He says, I only do what the Father asks of me. If you doubt that you're a child of God, you won't look to a father in confidence that loves you. I want to be really clear here. When I'm talking about confidence, I'm not saying that we can't have our doubts. I'm not saying that you can't open this up and go, that doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't I really, and I'm not saying you can't doubt. Look at Abraham and, and Sarah. An angel shows up and tells them they're going to have a child at 90, and she laughs at him. Right? She doubts. John the Baptist sees all these amazing things happening in Jesus, sends people and says, are you the one? He doubted. Thomas, a very disciple of Jesus, didn't, he doubted that Jesus really raised from the dead. And Moses, who led the Israelites out, 
doubted he was even capable. So I'm not saying you can't doubt. What I am saying is that when you and I take our doubt into a condemning spirit in our heart, it draws us away from God. It puts us in a spot where we aren't confident to approach him because we start condemning ourselves and saying we're not good enough. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not like Joshua. I, can't, I don't have the faith to believe that a son would stand still if I prayed for it. The instant we start condemning ourselves, we're condemning the identity of Christ. See, because Christ, God looks at us through Christ. We are deemed righteous. We are deemed righteous because of what he did, not because of me or you. We lose our spot as children of God. This plays itself out all the time. Look, if you believe God is who he says he is, and you're confident you are who God says you are, then you believe he's worth approaching for every aspect of your life. So moms, if you just think that you're, the wheels are coming off the wagon of the children at home, and you're like, man, I'm going to fail these children like crazy, well, if you believed that you're God's child and you believe he's who he says he is, then you would approach him with confidence with your children. If you're single, you want to be married so bad, a bunch of married people saying, don't do it. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> if you're single and you want to be married so bad, if you believe you're who God calls you to be and God is who he says he is, then you would be confident with where you're at. You would open your hands to the possibilities of what he may or may not do for your life whenever it happens. Look, some of you are going through some hard stuff some really hard things in your life. And you can't see anything but dirt and garbage around you. And you look at that and you think, man, if God is who he says he is, why am I here? Be careful. Because the instant you stop believing God is who he says he is, then you won't believe who you are. And if you don't believe that, then you'll never believe he can pull you out of that. You'll never believe that he's still constant and that he's capable of doing anything in your life. And this isn't some self-help. This isn't some like, oh, just ask what you want. God will give you a great life. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, is the fact that when we're confident God is who he says he is, it doesn't matter what circumstances are in our life, we're still confident. We may have our doubts. We may get shaken from time to time. But we're still confident that he is true. He is God. He is in control. He is sovereign. Do you have the boldness to approach God with the things in your life? The faith to trust Him with the outcome. See, a lot of times the boldness is, all right, yeah, I want, I want out of this, God. I don't want to deal with this addiction anymore. But we don't have the faith to actually trust Him to do it. Or the willingness to walk in the ways He's asking us to walk. We'll blame God for all the bad things in our life. But never, ever, ever follow Him with our life. See, I kind of set you up with Joshua a little bit. See, Joshua seems like, man, this guy is a rock. He's awesome. How in the world did he do that? See, Joshua, I believe, was um, very, very confident, mainly because um, he had a conversation with God. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you this text in Joshua where, where God is speaking specifically to Joshua right after Moses is dead. And he's speaking specifically to him. But I want to I challenge you, if you will, when you hear me read these words, just, just do me a favor. Ignore everyone else around you. 
And just pretend for a moment, just for a moment, that God is not reading these words or saying these words to Joshua, but he's saying them to you. And, and if you are a little crazy and you start running, yeah, I get to go kill a bunch of people in arm. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That was that time, okay? Joshua went on to be the army guy. You, you got a different call, possibly. But just listen. listen. Listen to this as if he's speaking to you. See, because God, jo Moses is dead, and to me, I feel like that, that'd be a pretty big thing because Moses was a pretty big deal, right? And literally, God says, my servant Moses is dead. You're in charge, Joshua. And that's literally the segue we get. I'm, maybe there was more conversation there. I don't know, but it's just kind of like, okay, you're in. And basically what he does is he starts telling him, look, I'm going to do all the things I promised to Moses and your people through you. And then he comes in, in chapter 1, verse 5. And he picks up and he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, Bren. I will be with you. I will not leave you. This isn't a pause. I got lost my spot. Hang on, sorry. <laughs> Just as I was with Moses there, I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. He tells me again, be strong and courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. See, he's telling him, look, be strong and courageous, but stay true to who I made you to be. Follow the things that I called you to do. Follow them. And then look, here's the promise. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This book of, oh, no, sorry. should do that. Do not turn from the left or right. Okay. That you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Now let me ask this question. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for your Lord, the Lord, your God, is with you today. He's with you wherever you go. Lord, your God is with you. See, Joshua had the audacity to ask for the sun to stand still because he was confident. He was confident where God had him. He was confident in who God was, and he was not allowing his heart to condemn him. Because he, he faced, he stood forward. He didn't veer to the left or the right. He, he, he walked in God's commandments. He lived a life of fruit that was changed and marked by Jesus Christ. See, the more we come to understand who God is, the more we will find our prayers being for the right things. Look, I, I, know, I, know, I know it's hard sometimes, but freedom from our condemnation leads to boldness in prayer. If you would just believe God, if you would trust Him, if you would believe the things He says about you, then your life would be marked differently. And look, I, I know, I, I know, I know, I know some people will use this as, oh, yeah, this is some self-help, let's go, and I'm going to have a perfect life because I'm going to obey God's commands. The problem with that is, guys, you can't obey anything that God asks you to do without Him. So without dying to yourself, without surrendering your way to, to Jesus Christ, you're incapable of doing what He's asking you to do. 
So it has to start there. And here's the other side of it. It has nothing to do with your, your glorification, but God's. You don't do this so that you can be written in the story someday and be like, look at how faithful I was. You do it so that your faith can be marked and point to Jesus Christ. And so I want to do something a little different today. This might be a little, <clears throat> might be a little scary for some of you, or a little weird, but I want, to, I want to pray for you today. And normally I'll pray, and that's great, but see, I, I think the problem is, is there's so many people in the room this size, I can guarantee there are so many of you that are so afraid to approach God with boldness that you won't do it. You hear things like, okay, God, I really want you to help me with my finances, but, but if it's your will. And we use if it's your will as if it's some blanket, like if you don't come through, God, I don't want to doubt who you are. When Jesus said, no, you pray, thy will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus in the garden said, God, if this is possible, take this cup from me, but your will be done. So what he's saying is you ask it because you believe God cares, but you ask for his will and only his will to be in it. Meaning if the pain you're, pres- you're feeling right now is going to bring him glory and it's in his will, then let it be. If you're still single because that's what he wants for you right now, then let it be. Trust him with your outcomes. Have the boldness to ask in faith and the faith to trust the outcome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you. And you can stand. You can sit. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask God to lead me, and I'm going to try and pray as boldly as I can for each of your situation that I have no idea where any of you are. And my hope is that God would use one word or two words and stir in you to stir in you, to make you more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, and that it wouldn't just be some moment of, of oh, okay, I, I hear you, God, but it would be a moment that changes your life. So as I pray for you, please, like I said, stand, sit, close your eyes, don't close your eyes, do whatever you want, but I'm going to pray for you. God, in a room this size with this many people, a room marked probably by pain, fear, hopelessness, broken marriages, relationships, totally tossed. Got a room where, where people are maybe one string away from financial complete depravity. Got a room where people are, are, are asking you, they have hopes, they have dreams, they have desires to, to be in a next spot, a different job, a, a spouse or a relationship or, or a amended relationship, God. In a room where I believe at times we're just so afraid to ask. James tells us that we don't receive because we don't ask. And so right now, God, I want to ask not for my own selfish gain or for anyone else's selfish gain, God, but for your glory. So I pray right now for the relationships in this room for the marriages that are falling apart, for the spouses that can't communicate, they fight a relationship that maybe already ended. God, for the, for the marriage that, that is just dying, God, would you break in? Would you bring your truth to that, God? God, in, in, in something that's supposed to look like your relationship, Jesus' relationship to the church, when, when we don't even necessarily have a great picture sometimes of what the church looks like in America, God, would you mend those relationships? Not so that they'd be a spot where they're surviving or coexisting, but God, where they are thriving. 
where the kids and the friends and the people that work with them would look at that and say, there's something different about that relationship and it would point to your glory alone. God, for those that are single and just want to be married, God, you have given them those desires and I pray that they would just leave them at your feet. They would trust you for the outcome. They would trust you for who you have in their life. God, that they would just seek you and seek only you, God. That they wouldn't allow the, the, the hope or the desire to be married get in the way of what they should be doing in pursuing you and being more like Jesus Christ. And for those in the room that, that are in pain, whether it's their back, whether it's some physical, whether it's cancer, whether it's depression, God, would you break in? Would you, would you break in like you did in front of the Israelites and the sun stood still in that area, God? Would you break in in a way that it baffles all the doctors, that it blows everyone away? Or, God, would you break in through the hands of a doctor, God, where change has happened and, and, and you get the glory, God, where your servants just are humbled by the fact that you care about that detail? God, for the parents that have wayward children, children that ran from your ways, children that maybe were raised in the church but have been just so mad at you, God, would you draw them back to you? God, would you bring those kids back to you? God, for the, the families that have teenagers right now that are so afraid if they're going to even know who you are, they're grasping by a thread, pleading with you to, to just keep them focused on you. God, would you do that? Not for the family's glory, not so some parents can look at, look what we did, we raised our kids, but God, so that you would get the glory. God, I pray for financials, finances and financial freedom in here. God, there's so many of us are in maybe bad situations because of our own stupidity. God, would you help us to relinquish that? Would you help us to, 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 to give you our finances in all areas of our life, God? Not so that we can look holy with our finances, but God, so that we can be aligned and be able to do with our finances. Even what Danny talked about last week, God, give to those in need. God, for the nonprofits, Rhodes Park, for the prison ministries, Three Oaks, God, the many ministries that are, that are trying so hard to do what they believe you've called them to do, God, would you bring blessing upon them? Would you bring finances to them that they didn't even know was possible so that they could continue to do the work that you've called them to do, God? And may you alone get the glory. God, for those that have in this room that don't believe in you, maybe they're, they're shattered by unbelief or they're, they're mad at the church because of what someone did or didn't say, God, would you free them of their anger? Would you draw them to the peace that only comes from you? Would you draw them to you? Father, would you break in in a way that is only done and capable by you? God, for those of us that have followed you for a long time, and maybe we're just tired, a little exhausted. Maybe, you're, maybe God, we, we try to read your word or we try to pray, but the words aren't there and, and your words don't seem to jump off. God, would you reignite a fire inside of us? where we, we treat your word as living and active, where we, where we come to you with confidence knowing that you're a daddy that cares about every single detail in our life and that you will do what you will do to bring glory to you by your will. And God, I ask all these things, all of these things, that every single one of them, whether it's answered today or tomorrow or 10 years from now or never answered, God, that it would be exactly where it needs to be in your will and only there. God, for any of us that are trying to, to, to lead in your will or, or be behind in your will or afraid of your will, God, would we just surrender our lives to that and trust you? 
God, for those of us in the room that our hearts are condemning us, God, would you remind us of your grace? Remind us of your freedom. God, for those of us that are afraid maybe to approach you because we feel like we've just messed up too much, God, would you remind us that that was completed on the cross, that you defeated death, that you brought a resurrected Jesus to us so that we could live a life of hope, of freedom now, God. And so I pray for surrender. I pray that each of us, whatever situation's going on, God, wherever the pain is, wherever the hurt is, I pray that each of us would just surrender that to you, trust you wholeheartedly, and that you would give us the strength to draw nearer and nearer and nearer to you. And would you reveal to us amazing things about you? Would you allow us to move forward with the confidence that you are who you say you are, that we are who you say we are? We love you, and it's in your wonderful son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.